just, if you, in fact, I'm going to pray right now because a huge bomb just went off in Ankara, Turkey. And uh, so I just want to take a moment just to pray for it because remember, we're supporting a church in Turkey right now. We're supporting a pastor. I don't think he's in Ankara, though, is he? But uh, so just pray through right now. Father, we just pray uh, for our brothers and sisters in Turkey and for what's going on over there, God. We know it's a heavily Muslim country and it's illegal to be a Christian. But God, we ask that you would strengthen the church in Ankara. Also, God, the church throughout Turkey. Um, and we just ask, Father, that you would go, that you would take what um, it seems terrorists have intended for evil. And, God, you use it to the good and the benefit of your kingdom for the sake of the name of your son. And uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, I, I shared last week, angels are throughout the Bible. Uh, Ninety-one times we have accounts in the Old Testament of angels guiding, of angels warring, of angels messaging. And then 178 times in the New Testament. We have angels appearing, and they're either announcing, rescuing, or doing battle. And so we have 269 biblical proofs of the existence of angels actively being involved in the lives of humans for the benefit of the human, but under the direction of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. And so, but there's two important things we said last week. I just want to emphasize this week. Number one, um, we don't worship angels. This isn't about angel worship. In fact, it's very clear that when in, in Revelation 22, when the angel appears to John, and John's seen a lot of stuff by the time we get to chapter 22. John's not chaptering it out, but, you know, he, he's seen a lot of stuff. He, he had the best devotion time, I think, in the history of the world. Revelation 4 and 5, he says, I was in my prayer closet, and behold, an open door. And he got to walk through this door, and he got to see heaven. And that's another thing I wouldn't mind. I'd just like a door to show up someday and just say, come on up, have a look. Um, and so we, we have this, but John, this one time, an angel appears to him, and, and, and John falls down at the feet of the angel and begins to worship him. And uh, the angel says, hey, don't do that. See that you don't do that because I'm a fellow servant. I'm a brethren of the prophets. In other words, prophets are messengers bringing the message of the Lord just as angels are, are messengers of the Lord. And then the angel finishes his, his admonition to John, worship God. So even the angels tell us, angels are not to be worshipped. And uh, the second thing is we don't pray to angels. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're, Jesus teaches that over and over again. Paul teaches that. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth. And we can ask. We can speak with the Holy Spirit. We can speak with Jesus. We can ask the Holy Spirit to move and to do things. Um, we have biblical um, support of that, and, and, and we want to do that. We, we want the Spirit of God to live and to move and to breathe within us and to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. But what else we need to know that angels, the spirit beings, obey the word of God. In fact, precisely what they do is they obey Jesus. This is what it says in Psalm 103, verse 20. It says, Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. So even the psalmist understands that angels are there to minister, to, to obey the voice of the Lord, to minister on his behalf for his pleasure. So that tells us that when the angels minister to us, when angels are actively involved in the affairs of the earth, it is to the glory and pleasure of God. So God is pleased to use angels to be an active part of our lives. So let's look at some of the things angels do. Um, and again, if you want to know more about who they are, you can get the notes from next week, and, and um, they're on the Internet, and you can go to the website and get them. Um, so first of all, angels protect. Now, we don't have a, 
a, a specific passage where it says, thus saith the Lord, every, every follower of Jesus has a guardian angel. But we do have enough scripture to support the fact that there are angels there to protect us and who are with us all the time. Not just for us, but we have it throughout the history of Israel and throughout the history of the New Testament. Um, the Bible does teach that angels guard and protect. In Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. So, first of all, we have angels encamped around us. That means there's more than one. And then when it says it's encamped around us, that doesn't mean we're just halfway protected. It means that we're fully protected. Psalm 91, 10 through 12 the psalmist also says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, meaning the angels' hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So God uses angels to protect us. Um, I shared some stories last week in a book my aunt wrote about, about angels protecting us. But I know in my own life, as I, as I look back, a, a couple of years ago, um, we were going to go to Colorado to celebrate Thanksgiving. And so it was my wife and I, and we invited my wife's sister, Carol, to go with us. And so we're driving her truck. And, and when we drive to, to Fort Collins, we do it one day, 16 hours. So we leave at 3 in the morning, and, and we're, we're between Denver and, and Fort Collins. We're on the 25 going north. And all of a sudden, there's this huge accident in front of us. It fills all four lanes. Cars are just bumping off everybody, and we're headed right into it. And my, my sister-in-law, who is a you know, retired watch commander for LAPD, she's going, oh, no, and we all prepared to crash. And the Lord, this angel, just directed us around all the cars through all of these crashes. Yeah, it was, up, it was just like this, cars bouncing off each other. We didn't get touched once. And it wasn't because I'm a great driver. You know, um, it was because I believe an angel of the Lord just took and directed that truck through all of those accidents. And not one, every car around us got hit but us, and we went right through the middle of them. So that's, that's how God uses angels to protect us. He surrounds us. He cares for us. And we have this story over and over again that when I say angels protect, part of their protection is to guide us, and that is to go before us or to go behind us to make sure that where God wants us to go, we're going to arrive there. One of the accounts we have is, is when Abraham um, sends Isaac to find a wife. And so um, this is Genesis 24, 7, and says, The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And so the Lord is speaking to Abraham, saying, I've already got Isaac's wife picked out for him, and it's at this place. It's, it's, it's where your, uh, your uh, brother-in-law or whoever Laban was, who, wherever he is. Um, so Isaac knew how to get there. He didn't need an angel to tell him the way. But just in case, because when we look at the ramification, God has promised Abraham that his seed is going to be as the stars of the sky. He promises uh, Jacob that will be of the sand of the sea. And so the enemy understands the, the relationship God has with Israel. He understands that the destiny of a people of God is in the, is in the seed of this lineage here, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the angel went before Isaac when he goes to get his wife, not to show him the way, but just to make sure that the enemy didn't have anything planned along the way that would keep Isaac from finding his, his wonderful Rebecca and his, I think I would say wonderful Leah too. And, um, and so 
um, the angel of God went before and behind the children of Israel. And, and this, is, this is what it says here. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and a pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So God, even though they had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, God still had an angel who went before and behind Israel as they wandered through the wilderness because, you know, Israel didn't go into battle until they entered the promised land. The 40 years of wandering was not to fight wars. The 40 years of wandering was for an unbelieving generation to die off. So the next generation should go in and take the promise God had given them. So to make sure that they didn't do anything, and they did some, a lot of stupid things in the wilderness, you know, like complain when God provides your needs and complain that you don't like the way he's providing. And he says, okay, what do you want? We want meat. I'll give you meat. You know, they never asked for meat again if you read the story. And, and so just to know they got a rock that followed them and water came out. So an angel went before and behind them. Uh, again, in Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I prepared. So God used the angels to make sure the children of Israel didn't get in trouble and to make sure they, they ended up where they were supposed to go. The Israelites appealed to God under whose command the angels function when they're in captivity in, in Egypt. This is what Scripture says they said. We cried out to the Lord, Numbers chapter 20, we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent the angel, and brought us up out of Egypt. Now, isn't it interesting how we think the one who brings them up out of Egypt is Moses? But the children of Israel, the, Moses was the one that was the physical figure that brought them out, but they recognized it was the angel of the Lord who brought them out. And why would they say that? Well, first of all, they were there when the death angel flew over. They were there when they were told to, to sacrifice a lamb, to take the hyssop branch and to put the, the blood on the doorpost because that night the death angel was going to come over them while they were in Egypt and the firstborn of every household that wasn't under the blood of the lamb would be killed. They knew the angel of the Lord killed many that night but didn't kill their oldest because they obeyed the word of the Lord. They knew the angel of the Lord was with them when they left and, and, and they went out and all of a sudden the Red Sea parts and they go across the Red Sea and they watch the... The Egyptian army gets swallowed up. Their horses and the chariots get swallowed up in the sea. So the children of Israel know that, yes, Moses led us, but there was a, another force. The angels went before us and were actually the ones that were battling on our behalf because these were not trained warriors. Remember, they'd been slaves for 40 years. All they knew how to do was make clay. They made clay so they could build things. And um, so as, as we go on, and, and we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's images. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, and, and you understand, this, this great statue was built. And the command was, every time you hear the trumpet, you're supposed to bow down and worship. And these three young men of Jewish heritage, uh, Daniel, we, we believe they're Daniel's best friends. Nobody says they are, but we all, all know they were eunuched together. Kind of a that binds you together, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but these were righteous young men who refused to embrace the ways and, and the laws of, of, uh, of their captivity of Babylon. And so when Nebuchadnezzar builds this huge statue and says, okay, here's the deal. Every time the trumpet sounds, whoever you are, wherever you are, you stop what you're doing, you turn towards the, the idol, and you bow down on your face, and you bow. And so here are these three young Jewish boys amongst a whole crowd of people. The trumpet sounds, everybody's down on the ground, but you got these three guys just standing up. 
And the guards come and say, you better bow, boys. And they said, not bowing, not going to do it. So they're taken into captivity, and, and they're brought before the king. And, and they, he says, look, it, here's the deal. Either you bow or you burn. And they said, well, we'll burn. And here's exactly what they said. They said, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So, I mean, it's one of the profound statements in Scripture. We are going to stand on who we are, and God will save us. But if he doesn't, we're still going to stand. I mean, that is, it's one thing to boast and say, God's going to protect me, and God's going to take care of me. And then when you're about to be burned alive, and not about to be burned alive, I mean, they were thrown into the furnace. It wasn't a threat. It happened. And they were willing to be consumed by this fire because they felt that strongly. They knew who their God was. They knew who they served. Even though their fathers and their mothers and their grandfathers and grandmothers had not served the Lord and the hardness of their hearts had caused them to go into captivity, these young boys who had lost everything, who would never be able to have families, would never have wives, would never have children, they were made to be slaves of the king. These young men knew who their God was, and they refused to bow down. And they said, God's going to take care of us. Don't worry about it. And we know the story. As they go into the furnace, three are, are thrown in, but four show up. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. He, he looks in Daniel chapter 3. He says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So God protects if we will stand for righteousness. You know, even to the place unto death, God is with us. He doesn't leave us, forsake us. God later sent his angel to deliver Daniel from the mouth of the lion's den. Another time, you know the story? Daniel, a man, a Jew who had great favor, who's number two in command in, in the kingdom of Babylon. All the other wise men of the kingdom despised him. They know that every day, three times a day, he opens his window, he bows down, and he prays. So they say, King, we need an edict because these Jews are praying to the wrong gods. We need that if they pray to anybody but, but, but our gods, then, then they're going to be cast in the lion's den. King says, fine. Where do they go right after they get the king to pass the edict? They go and they sit outside Daniel's window. That says a few things about Daniel. Number one, it says, because they knew of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel was one of them, they knew no matter what the king said, that, these, that this young man would not obey anything that was contrary to his belief and his faith. So as soon as they get the king to pass the edict, they go and they sit outside Daniel's window because they know Daniel is not going to obey. Sure enough. Daniel prays. They go and tell the king, and the king's, king is grieved. He likes Daniel. But he has a problem. He's a king. And his word is his word. And the law is the law. And if he doesn't execute the law over Daniel, then everything people believe he is is going to be justified. So he has to do what he said he would do, and he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den. But listen, you know, he, he has a rough night, by the way, the king. Didn't sleep well that night. He goes the next morning to the den to... See if anything's left to Daniel. And this is what Daniel says to him. God sent his angel 
to shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So angels not only do war, I mean, he said the angel shut the lion's mouth. Now, you can picture that however you want. You could just see them going, no, kitty. Or you can see them holding them in a headlock and just holding the mouth shut. You know, it doesn't say how they did it, but it does say the angel did it. The angel, and there's more than one lion, but there's only one angel, and that says a lot about angels. You know, so the lion's mouths were shut because of an angel. Now, as believers, we have angels near us right now. I said it before. This room, there's angels here right now. Can't see them, but I guarantee you they're here. Not because I say so, but because the Word of God says so. Listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 18, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Talking about the angels, now, there's a lot of discussion among theologians as who these little ones are. Is it those in the other room? Or is it everybody who's a child of God? If it's the one in the other room, um, then we know that uh, it's, it's more than a group of angels. It's a, if it's all of us, we know that there are a lot of angels. And because, and, and here I'll just tell you what I think. Because of these stories, and I, I hate, I want to call them stories, because of these true historic accounts of angel encounter for protection for the people of God, I believe when Jesus talks about little ones, he includes us. That we have angels who walk with us, who protect us, who are with us, who help a truck steer through crowds, you know. And so angels can deliver saints if they're in trouble. And by the way, um, Isaac only married Rebecca. We'll just leave it at that. Corrected that. There we go. Okay, so angels can deliver the saints if they're in trouble. Any saints ever been in trouble? And not talking about in trouble with mom and dad or in trouble with the law or in trouble with school. Um, we're talking about people who are walking in obedience and they're, they are confronted because of their faith. We have great stories in, in, the, in the book of Acts of how angels open locked prison doors. It's interesting. They open locked prison doors to walk the prisoners out, but they don't unlock the doors to come in. Just kind of a, an interesting picture. So here we have Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, uh, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, lay their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So we have an angel who's not only deliverer, but also an angel who's a messenger. So this angel not only opens the door, escorts them out, he doesn't say, Now run and hide, guys, because they're going to be really upset now. You think they're upset when they threw you in prison? They're going to be more upset now that you've escaped, so go hide. No, he says, okay, now that you're out, I want you to go back to the very place where you were, and I want you to preach again. The message of the Lord to you is I've set you free not to go hide. I've set you free to go and preach again. We also have the angel of the Lord who sets Peter free from prison. And, you know, when Peter's being set free, there's a prayer meeting going on. Peter's been arrested. And there, there's this prayer meeting in this house, and they're praying for God to intervene and set Peter free for something to happen. 
In Acts chapter 12, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. Now, just that part right there. Who is so sound asleep in prison that when an angel shows up and the room is filled with light, that you're so deep asleep, angel has to take a stick and hit you and say, wake up. Peter, come on, buddy. We got stuff going on here. Arise quickly. Then his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So that means that he was not wearing his clothes. So let's get dressed. Let's put your shoes on. And so he did. And then he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel, if what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out <clears throat> and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain the Lord has sent an angel. When he came to himself. So Peter's a little confused. Is this a vision? Is this real? Am I dreaming? Am I not dreaming? You ever had one of those dreams where you know you're dreaming? Aren't those weird? You know, you're in there and you know, and then you start dreaming inside of a dream. I mean, that just gets really weird. But, but, but you have, so, so Peter isn't sure, am I dreaming or is this real? And it says when he finally got outside the prison and the angel left and he realized, okay, he's gone and I'm still here. I must be awake. He realizes the whole thing is true. So an angel comes in, doesn't open the door to come in. He just, his chains fall off. The door swings open. They get past all these guards, and he sets them free. Now, that's the way angels worked for the early church. I also believe that's the way the angels are going to work in the last days for the church as well. When we go about doing the things of God, when what we're doing here becomes illegal in this nation. We also have stories of angels bringing provision. So they protect. Um, they, they deliver when we're in trouble. Uh, they can bring provision. We know, and we'll talk about this in a moment, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and after his encounter with, with Satan, it says that the angels came and ministered to him. But we also know that um, the great prophet, Elijah, um, you know, he, he, he lay down and went to sleep under a broom tree. Suddenly the angel of the Lord touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a, a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down. So the ministry of this angel was, Elijah was hiding to bring him, and, and, and listen to what it says, a cake baked on coals. So it wasn't like man, it was like God cooked him a meal. This angel cooked him a meal, brought him a cake baked on coals and brought him water and says, okay, get up and eat. So he ate and drank, and then what did he do? He went back to sleep. He lay down again. I don't know if I go back to sleep if an angel just brought me a meal. You know, I think I'd be a little excited. But this was a prophet, you know. This, this was a ministry of the angel of the Lord, which could simply mean an angel sent from the Lord. Uh, many believe this was a theophany, that it was a manifestation of God to Elijah. And one of the things about Scripture, there are times it says angels, and there are times it says angel of the Lord. 
Um, and so there are some who think that sometimes it's an angel of the Lord. It's actually Jesus appearing before he is born in an epiphany. An epiphany is the appearance of Jesus. Um, if he shows up at the end of your bed, that's an epiphany. It's a pretty cool epiphany. You know, so some say that when it says angel of the Lord, it's actually Jesus. Others say that it's an angel sent by the Lord. The bottom line, you win either way. If it's Jesus or if it's an angel, it's, it's a good thing. Angels also proclaim the truth. Just as the angel told Peter after he set him free, um, or told the apostles after he set him free, go back and preach. So the angel actually had a conversation with them, told them what to do. We also have angels proclaiming the truth. And angels literally means messenger. Um, and, and so in, in the tribulation, in the book, during the tribulation, in the book of Revelation, it tells us this that there will be an angel that flies above the earth and preaches the gospel. That's pretty cool. You know, some people who don't really believe in angels will say, well, that's satellite TV. There's a satellite up there, and it's going to project down, and people will see it. The Bible doesn't say satellite TV. It says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every Nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Pretty cool. So angels are messengers. There are a number of passages where we're told that angels are the instruments used by God to reveal his word. Acts chapter 7 says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and the one who received the living oracles to us, who had received the law by the direction of, of the angels and have not kept it. So the apostles are preaching a sermon, and they're talking about what happened in the wilderness, talking about an angel who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Hebrews 2, verses 2 and 3 says this, For if the spoken word through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we ne neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So who were the first ones to hear the Lord speak? Were the angels. And the word of the Lord is not only proclaimed by the angels, but the word of the Lord is confirmed by angels. This is what Jesus said. And there will come a time. Now, you look at the story of Moses, or Moses, of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph together is Moses. Um, Mary had an angel appear to her to tell her, blessed is she among women, that she's about to give birth, even though she's never known a man. Then an angel appears to Joseph to confirm what had already been told to Mary so that Joseph wouldn't do what he was about to do, and that was to break off the engagement, to go and secretly put her away, to not shame her. So an angel speak to Mary. An angel then came to Joseph to confirm what the angel had already said. And so we have angels who will confirm the word of the Lord. This angel who's going to be flying in the heavens and during the tribulation and preaching the gospel is going to be confirming the message that will be outlawed on the earth. There will be a one-world religion which will not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be an angel flying above the earth preaching the gospel, saying this new gospel of this new world religion that you're believing in is not the truth. Here's the real gospel. And it will bear witness of who Jesus was. And it says it's going to touch every tribe, nation, and people on earth. That's a pretty amazing thing to have this angel preach. Angels can give us strength. 
After Jesus was tempted, we know the angels came and ministered. It says in Matthew 4.11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the scene where Jesus, the, the, the human side of Jesus is wrestling with the destiny of the God side, knowing that he was about to die, and it wasn't death he was afraid of, because he knew death was but an instant. Jesus' issue was the fact that your sin and my sin was going to be upon him, and there was going to come a moment that had never happened in eternity past and would never happen in eternity future. The Father would break fellowship with the Son. At that moment when your sin and my sin was upon Jesus, Scripture says God turned his back on him because God cannot look in sin. And the thing that Jesus was crying out for in the garden was not that he didn't want to die as a man. It was that he didn't want to be separated from his father. And so he said, Dad, Father, if there's any other way we can do this, I say yes. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. And so here he is in the garden praying, wrestling with this. And it says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, meaning away from the disciples who were oversleeping. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Now, I told you last week, I just like to imagine what that looks like. What does it look like? Jesus, our Savior, heartbroken in the garden, crying out to his Father not wanting to be separated, and an angel comes and strengthens him. I mean, that picture, that, to me, it's got to be, I mean, they've known Jesus since they were created because he's the one that spoke everything into existence. So how do you come and minister to the one who's, who's taken his spirit, he's put on skin for eternity, and, he, and they know that this relationship they've seen through the, between the Father and the Son ever since they were created, they know that's about to end, and they come and minister to him. What do they say? What do they do? Do they, do they wrap their arms around him? Do they just sit there and go, it's going to be worth it? Do they go, wow, we long to know the salvation that humanity is going to know, which is what Scripture says. The angels long to know what you and I will know through salvation because they'll never know it. They're created. We we are procreated. We are regenerated through our, our mother and our father, and we are given this choice to accept or reject the work of the cross, to rule and to reign with Christ, because according to Scripture, humanity is a little lower than the angels. Jesus, when he became man, was a little lower than the angels. But then it says, when we, when we are resurrected and we go to heaven, that we will judge the angels. So we will go below them as humans but we'll be over them as eternal beings, those who will rule and reign with Christ throughout eternity. And so how does an angel minister to God? What an incredible question. What an incredible picture. But i got to believe it worked. You know? Because Jesus submitted himself to what he was about to do. Remember again that an angel touched Daniel, and he was strengthened. This is when Daniel's in his fast, because he's read the prophet Jeremiah, and he knows that the 70 years of their captivity has been fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet. And so he's going, okay, God, the, the prophecy's up. What now? What do we do? Do we just pack our bags and walk out? And so it says that he set his heart to gain understanding, and he fasted and prayed. 
And he said, for the fast that he had chose, there was no savory food or bread or wine would touch his lips. So he just ate what he needed to be sustained, not because it tasted good, because he made sure it didn't. He just ate what he needed to live. And after 21 days, so on the 21st day, Daniel has been praying for the understanding of the prophecy of Jeremiah. And it says an angel appears to him. And the angel tells him, you know, uh, Daniel, and, and we'll get to this passage in a minute, but I'm going to jump ahead. He says, the moment, the moment you started to pray, God called me and said, here's the answer, take it through. What another powerful picture. That, that is such a picture to us on how we do not give up what God has put in our heart to pray for. We don't stop. We're watchmen on the walls. We cry out to him day and night until justice is executed on his behalf. And so this is the angel shows up. So when he had spoken such words to me, this is Daniel writing, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor any breath is left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of the man touched me and strengthened me. So evidently, According to scripture, all an angel has to do is go, beep. He says, he just touched me and I was strengthened. That's the power they have to give us strength. They also execute justice on the wicked or judgment on the wicked. And not just Old Testament, but New Testament too. So let's do the New Testament story first. We all know Herod, um, the bad guy in the story. So here's the thing. <clears throat> Um, Herod was looking for Peter to put him to death. So, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded, because he's escaped. Okay, remember we just read up here in chapter 12? We read up that how Peter had, had gotten out here at the beginning. Uh, point, page 2, uh, point 2, point B, where the angel, where Peter's sleeping, and the angel has to hit him with a stick and said, get up, let's go, and he walks him out. So this is this has just happened. So this has happened, and Herod's pretty upset because Peter is gone. And so Herod searched for him and, and not found him. He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal, royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. So he had proclaim this oracle, I am going to have mercy on you. And because of that, they declared him to be a god. And he sat upon this throne in his royal purple array, and he received those words. He accepted the words that, yes, I am a god. Then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. 
That was, wasn't that fun? And again, this is my mind, okay? It says he was eaten by worms and died. So does that mean the worms ate him and that's why he died? I mean, just, just a thought, pretty picture. You know, maybe they start on the inside and eat their way out. I, yeah, I don't know. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. Second Kings 19. Came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, they were all corpses. They were all dead. Not, not the dead people didn't wake up. <laughs> yeah, they woke up dead. We're all corpses. No. <laughs> the ones that they were coming to kill woke up in the morning, and all of their enemies were dead. They were all corpses on the ground. So one angel kills 185,000. Angel death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he probably went, I don't know. I don't know if he just felt like he needed batting practice in or, you know, if he just said die, you know. I don't know, but, yeah. 185,000, I mean, yeah. So Dale says the historic record, and we know man's history is always right, says bubonic plague. So <laughs> I'd rather think an angel just... No, no plague, so you can't blame anything, but an angel did it. The second coming of Jesus, angels will come with Jesus to execute judgment on all unbelievers. So, Matthew 16, 27, this is Jesus speaking. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward, reward according to their works. Re reward who? Reward us. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8 says this, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's clear that angels know who's saved and who's not. Because they're going to take vengeance on those who reject the gospel. Again, angels know who's saved and who aren't. Because in, in Matthew 13, they are the ones who reap the harvest. Listen to the parable Jesus tells. Now, this is, this is the parable of, of the wheat and the tares. You all know the parable real quick. Servants went out and they planted wheat. And that was going to be the harvest to bring their master money. During the middle of the night, their enemies came in and planted tares, which are weeds in among the wheat. The next morning they came out and the wheat and the tares were coming up together. The problem is when wheat and tares are small, they look the same. You can't tell the difference. And so they asked their master, do we go out and take out all the tares? He says, you can't do that because you're going to take out the wheat too. So here's what we do. We wait until they grow to maturity. When they get to maturity, you'll be able to tell what's wheat and what's weed. And when they get to maturity, then you go and rip the weeds out and you sit them aside and you burn them up. So that's the context of the parable. So the master says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. 
But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So it's the angels who are going to execute judgment on those who refuse to accept the works of Christ and who pursue a life of evil. God is going to let the angels execute judgment, execute lawlessness. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes, this is the, the uh, parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all those holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So the angels are coming with the glory when Jesus executes judgment. Finally, we're we'll getting into this in more detail next week. Angels also war with demons. Now, we need to know that there are many today who do not believe in demons. I had coffee with a pastor from Azusa a week ago last Tuesday. Um, he's connected to the theology department at APU. He sat there and he told me, he and his wife were sitting down with coffee with a bunch around the table, and the discussion was demons. And the majority of those who are part of the uh, theology department, if you do not believe demons are real. And they brought up the issue of, what about Ephesians? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And they said, that was a reference to the Roman Empire, the, the spiritual influence of the Roman Empire. It wasn't referring to demons. So you need to know that today, now, in Christian colleges, students are being taught there's no such thing as demons. Okay? I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Well, it's not that there weren't demons. There are no more demons now. There's, there's no demons with us. When Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, demons were done. Okay? But the Bible teaches us there is this warfare going on in the spiritual realm. Um, and it's not to be uh, confused with our warfare against demons. So first of all, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So our weapons are not our hands, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Revelation speaks of a war that's going to take place in heaven with Michael, Michael is considered to be the warrior angel who is, many believe, a charge of a third of the angels of heaven who are also warrior angels. The other third are messenger angels who are under the leadership of Gabriel. The other third were under Lucifer who was the worship leader, the music angel, the fallen angels. So Revelation speaks of this war in heaven between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. Listen to what it says, Revelation 12, 7 and 9. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, who is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now right now, because people don't read scripture, Right now, the Bible tells us that Satan is allowed to go into heaven. 
he's allowed to go into the throne room. It tells us that he goes in for one reason, to make accusations against you and I. He just loves to point out our sin, loves to point out our weakness. We have two instances. Not only does it say right now that he's the accuser of the brethren that comes before the throne of God, it says in Revelation, but we have two specific accounts where we know what happened. The first is the story of Job. And if you read the story of Job, it's a conversation between God and, and Satan. And God's the one who says, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, well, of course the guy likes you and loves you and serves you. Look at all the good stuff you give him. And it begins the, the back and forth. And you know Job loses everything except his own life. But we also have the story of Peter and Jesus. And this is before the temptation. Peter says, Peter... Satan has asked permission to sift you. A conversation took place between heaven and Satan, and Satan particularly wanted to go after Peter. And God kind of said, just like you did with Job, okay, a little bit. Can't kill him, but Peter does need to be sifted. And uh, that's when Jesus said, you know, you're going to deny me, and Peter says, <laughs> All these other wimps will deny you, but not me. I'm with you all the way. I haven't got my sword. I've been practicing. I'm really good on ears. Um, so don't be surprised if some of the stuff that happens in your life is when you're it seems like things are going so well in your walk with the Lord, and all of a sudden you hit this bump, and it's going, God, what is going on? Don't be surprised if the accuser of the brethren is saying, hey, <clears throat> the only reason they're walking in righteousness right now is because you got this little bubble around them. Take the bubble away and then see what happens. And we're always brought to this place of, in temptation. We're always brought to this place of choice. We can choose to sin. We can choose not to sin. And we need to know Satan is the tempter. He is the one who puts it before us. And <clears throat> being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to temptation is the sin. So again, day 21 of Daniel's fast. And, and I already told you this story, but I don't want to read to you because this is about a battle that took place in heaven. So remember, Daniel read the prophecy of Jeremiah. The angel said, the moment you asked, God sent me with the answer. But then he goes on and says this in Daniel chapter 10. <clears throat> do not fear Daniel. So obviously Daniel's a little freaked out because an angel's in front of him. He says, don't be afraid. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, the guy we just read about in Revelation, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So we got this picture that this one angel, first he says the prince of Persia, then he says the kings of Persia. So this one angel is handling himself pretty good with a bunch of demons, the kings of Persia. But he's one evidently couldn't handle it, so Michael comes and, and takes care of it. So Michael came to help the angel fight, the angel finally gets to Daniel with the answer. After bringing the answer, the angel has to return to continue the battle of the prince of Persia. And listen to what he says. Then he said, now, do you know why I've come to you? And, of course, Daniel, that's after he's explained why he's come. You know, Daniel says, of course I understand. 
He says, now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. So evidently, that's part of the guy's job. He's not just a messenger, he's a fighter. <clears throat> and when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I'll tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So he says, I'm not worried because Michael will come and take care of it. And pretty soon the prince of Persia was defeated and Michael, Michael uh, Alexander the Great came and over, overthrew the Medes and the Persians. And Alexander the Great captured them. And so Greece, the prince of Greece. And so we have this picture here that kingdoms on earth have demonic princes that sit over them, evil kingdoms. The prince of Persia sat over the, the, the kingdom of Persia. And remember, the Medes and the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. 200 years, and this is a long time. When this, when this angel says this, it's not for 200 years that Alexander the Great comes and overthrows the Medes and the Persians. So he says, I'm going to go wrestle with the prince of Persia and then the prince of Greece. And they're wrestling in a realm, you understand, where there's no time. So we don't know exactly how that looks or what that looks like, but the Bible tells us it. It says it. And then finally, this is what I was talking about, Satan. Satan and demons will be bound at the second coming of Christ. Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2 and verse 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he, now this is amazing, one angel. I saw one angel come down from heaven. He has the keys. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's just a segue into demons. So next week, I'm going to be very clear. We're, we are not about the ministry of shouting at demons. But we need to understand who our enemy is because... I'm just going to do a brief, maybe one page on demons, and then we're going to start to look at what our weapons are. And then the following week is, we're going to look at what our armor is. The following week is Easter. Uh, wait, Easter's two weeks away. So after Easter, then we'll look at that. So we're going to be talking a while about how this takes place and how it affects our lives. So next week, demons, and what our weapons are that we use when we battle the forces of darkness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's truth. We thank you, Father, that you have equipped us with every good thing that's necessary to walk in freedom, that's necessary to walk in victory. We thank you, Father, that even though our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, God, we are grateful that you have those who are there to fight for us and with us to help us as we walk through our life. I pray, Father, that we will be mindful every day that we can call upon you. And when we need help in a spiritual battle, that we can ask you to send your angels to go forth and to do your bidding on our behalf. And God, we walk in that fullness. We walk in that understanding. We thank you, God, for that authority. And so we just ask in Jesus' name that we'll be mindful that we're not alone, that angels watch over us, that angels walk with us, they go before us, they go behind us, they battle on our behalf and they bring us messages. May we walk in that full understanding, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.